This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's holy and inspired word comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Sorry, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Good morning, First Prize. Uh, If you do have your copy of God's Word, I just ask you to keep it there in the Proverb uh, chapter 3. Proverbs 3, looking at 9 and 10. Before we do that, let's pray, okay? Our Father in heaven, we do come before you, Lord, and we are thankful for this opportunity to worship in your house, to worship your name, for you are great and worthy of all praise. Lord, we recognize our desperate need to be reminded of how great you are as we easily stray off course with the shiny things of this world. And Lord, we pray that this time together would feed our souls, would correct our vision, and reignite our hearts for you. Lord, I pray that as we dig into your word, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, and that, Lord, we would be better followers of you, not just simply by our own power, for that would be foolishness, but, Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. We pray that we would have ears to hear minds to understand, eyes to see, and that hearts would be given to us to receive. Lord, we do pray for our congregation. We pray, Lord, for the many in need of your hand upon them. We recognize, Lord, there are many, Lord, that are suffering. They're suffering in a variety of ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God, we pray that you would minister to each need today. We pray, Lord, that you would go before This word, Lord, and minister to your flock. Draw them ever close to you. Strengthen their faith. And may their eyes be fixed upon you where hope truly does reside. Lord, we pray for our country and we pray, Lord, for those in leadership. We recognize this has been a difficult period of time, Lord, from COVID, Lord, to earthquakes. And and now, Lord, there's the face of, of a hurricane that's coming And Lord, we pray for, Lord, the people there in in Louisiana, New Orleans area. We pray, Lord, for the country, Lord, of Afghanistan. We pray for the soldiers. We pray for the people. God, there is much pain and much sorrow in this world. And so, God, we pray that we who know Christ would be beacons of light, that we would carry the message of hope, and that lives would be changed. But, God, we know that you and you alone are able to fix this mess. And so, Lord, we look to you as the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Do come so quickly, Christ our Lord, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. I've heard it said that if you want to see what someone loves, you just need to follow the money. You uh, can see very quickly what a person loves by following where they put their resources where they put their time, where they put their energy, and yes, where they put their money. To say we love someone or something 
and to give only that person or that thing we testify to love our leftovers is not love at all. The truth is none of us likes getting someone's leftovers. You think about it in friendships. Friendships fall apart because people give their leftovers. Marriages deteriorate because one spouse gives a leftover of time and energy to another spouse. Friends, it costs when we only give our leftovers. If we just give our leftovers to our family, we see the effect. If we just give our leftovers to their jobs, it impacts our livelihood. If this is true about all of our other relationships, it's surely true about our relationship with God. The book of Proverbs here this morning is offering us a principle regarding our giving. It's calling us to honor the Lord with our resources and telling us that as we do, we'll be filled up, we'll be bursting forth with joy and all that we need. Let's look at that principle. Again, verse 9 reads, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Friends, I just have for you look at the very first word of verse 9. The word there is honor. That word honor simply can be translated to the idea of worship. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord with your wealth. We worship the things we admire with our wealth, with our resources, with our time. Uh, we commit energy. We commit uh, resources to whatever it is we're pursuing. For some of us, we're pursuers of education and we'll commit vast amounts of time and vast amounts of money to, to earn degrees. For others of us, maybe we're pursuers and lovers of cars. We'll spend hours and hours just torquing the wrench and spending every ounce of energy we have in time and money to make that car something beautiful. For others of you, maybe your love is computers. And you'll spend your time and your energy building the perfect computer just to run everything you wished it could run. We invest our energy and resources in those things. And what the proverb is reminding us is that we're to worship the Lord. We're to honor the Lord. And it specifically says, honor the Lord with your wealth. America is a wealthy country. And even the poorest in our country, in many respects, have wealth compared to other countries. We have this wealth, and I asked the question before our church, what are we doing with it? How are we handling our resources? How are we worshiping the Lord? See, the hidden idea in this truth is that ultimately the reason we should worship the Lord is because everything we have comes from him. Don't miss that this morning. Hidden in this proverb is the idea that everything you have comes from God. So basically to say it this way is our wealth is his wealth. Think about that for a moment. We're not taking something that's ours and then giving it to the Lord. That's not what we're doing when we give to the Lord to worship him. No, it's simply giving back to the Lord what's already his. Our wealth is his wealth. 
And by doing that, by giving back what is his to him, we're showing thanks. We're showing appreciation. We're showing understanding of whose it truly is. This teaching is found all the way back in to the book of Moses, the first five books, specifically Deuteronomy mentions this. In chapter 8, verse 18, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives your power to get wealth. The reason you have what you have is because of God. Why are we so unwilling then to give it back to him? Why do we hoard it like it's ours? Friends, notice that this specific proverb, verse 9, says we're to worship the Lord with our first fruits of our produce. That idea of first fruits is the idea to give the Lord first above all else. The idea is to honor God so that he receives the glory for what has come in. Give him the first portion. Again, all through the book of Moses, we see the first fruit offerings listed. Exodus chapter 22, for those of you taking notes, it's also found in 23, as well as Leviticus 23. I could go on and on and on of all the places that the Old Testament specifically mentions the first fruit giving to the Lord. That when the harvest came in and the wealth was received, the very first thing they were to do was to give it to God. But how many of us, this is so foreign. We don't give the Lord the first fruits. In fact, we don't give him the middle fruits. And some of us, we don't even give him the last fruits. We hold things back because we believe they're ours, missing the fact that all that is on the earth is his already. But when we honor God, when we give him the first portion and not the leftovers, then we're truly worshiping him as he should be worshiped. I go back to that word honor. That word honor literally means heavy. That's the idea of honor. It's heavy. It's the idea of giving God our first fruits. It's the idea of showing him the highest value, the weightiest consideration. And that God deserves our full attention, our full love, our full worship. As one commentator said, he said, by giving this way, you're showing that your confidence is in God. By giving God the first fruit, you're trusting God. You say, God will meet all my needs. I trust God. I won't need to regret giving to him, for this belongs to God anyway. Let me give you an example of how this was lived out. There's a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Jim Elliott was a missionary. He wrote down a famous slogan that's actually used to this day in all types of of articles or materials. That that slogan goes like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me repeat that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, Jim lived by this principle. Jim understood that his life was ultimately God's. And it would be foolish to keep his life for himself. Therefore, he gave his life completely to the purpose and the worship of God, believing that by doing so, he was only gaining, not losing. If you know anything about Jim's life, you know that he was trained to be a missionary. 
And Jim longed for the opportunity to serve the Lord with his life. That was his goal. That was his desire. Eventually, he received the opportunity, and he and a group of individuals went to evangelize an unreached people group in Ecuador. Over the series of months and and actually years of planning, really, they began to do several airdrops of gifts by plane as a way to build trust with this people group. It was the idea that ultimately one day they might actually be able to land the plane, get out of it, and embrace these individuals who they've been gifting to so they can share the gospel. What a great idea. The hours, the research, the time that these men spent believing that ultimately this was the best use of all their resources. The date was January 8th, 1956 was the year. Jim and five others left to reach that people group. They landed the plane, and however shortly after landing, they were all killed. They were killed by the very people they went to minister to. Well, some would say that was a waste. Some would say, what a waste of young lives. Five young men who, who could have done so much for the kingdom of God. They went to an unreached people group that basically slaughtered them. They used all of those resources and all of that time and all of that energy. What a waste. But it wasn't a waste. Years later, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, who also lived by this principle, he is no fool, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. She took her three-year-old daughter with her to minister to those very same people. Again, people said, she's crazy. What a waste. You're taking this little girl into danger. What are you doing? But Elizabeth believed this is what God was calling her to do, to finish what those men started. And so she went. And friends, I can rejoice in the truth that her work was not in vain. The gospel was planted. And those unreached people became reached. Reached with the gospel and lives that were transformed. Because Jim and the five others and their families believed truly that everything they had belonged to God. Even their early years, their strength, their whole being. You can read about their story in the shadow of Almighty or the gates of splendor, and I would encourage you to do so. But as I tell you that story, something that stirs in me is the reality that Jim and Elizabeth seem to understand something that the church today doesn't seem to get. God wants all of us. God doesn't want part of us. See, we've made it so easy in our Christianity just to give God a little peace. We can carry the Bible with us, and you know what? I'll listen to it as I drive. I'm not saying that's bad, but when's the last time you actually sat with the Bible on your lap and read God's Word? The argument that we can pray as we walk and do other things, sure we can. God hears us all the time. But when's time that you've actually set apart to make it a priority to pray with your family to pray to God. 
Friends, I could go down the list of the ways in which we've made Christianity so easy. But we miss the fact that God wants all of us. He wants our first fruits. He doesn't just want a part of us. He wants all of us. See, here's the reality. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We all must begin to believe that, that we're not a fool by giving God the best portion because God won't waste it. God never wastes anything. Friends, I said just a a week ago that God doesn't waste our pain. If God doesn't waste our pain, surely he doesn't waste our resources when they're given in his name. The time we spend, the money we give, the energy we offer, these things are used to God's glory to honor his fame, his name, so that we can be better worshipers, better trusters, better men and women of faith, so that we can grow in our walk. But God doesn't just ask us to give. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says in verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God's not stingy. Every good gift we have, we've already said, comes from the Lord. And what did we do to earn that? Most of us, we haven't thought about God maybe until last Sunday. But yet God continues to bless us. Can we trust him to bless us when we worship him properly? When we worship him with everything? The writer of the proverb says we can. The writer of the proverb encourages us to worship the Lord in our wealth, to give him the first fruits of our produce because we can be assured that our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will be bursting with wine. Notice the then, it's conditional. You'll have what you need. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your barns will be filled with provision. The idea is that your needs will be met. You won't lack. Do we trust God that much? Do we trust God enough to give him from the first portion rather than the middle or the last? We all fall into it. It's easy for us to say, well, I'll tithe after, after I pay my bills. I'll give to the church after I've given everywhere else in the community first. Again, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking in the use of our time and the resources of our energy. Do we give God the first portion or what remains? To the, prov- the provision here is that our barns will be filled. If, if we're worshiping God faithfully, we can be assured. Now, it doesn't mean that the godly will always abound. Sure, there's going to be lean years. There were lean years all through the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. The church in Jerusalem suffered, and therefore Paul went on a missionary journey to to get collection for the church. But get this, God will supply your means, your needs. God is faithful to his people. I love the, the illustration here where it says your vats will be bursting with wine. Most of us read that and think, man, it's great. They're going to have lots to drink. They're going to have stuff to eat and lots to drink. Actually, the word wine here is used with the idea of joy and pleasure and happiness. That in your giving, there will be joy. That your joy and your, and your pleasure will be full as you give. 
Some of us, we've collected all kinds of things. There's storage units full of stuff that we've collected. But in the collecting of all those things, have we really found the joy that we desire? The Bible would say God's math's different than our math. God says, give it away, you'll find joy. Because I'll be your joy. I'll be your pleasure. I'll be your hope. Trust me. See, the result of our giving is that we will be blessed. For our giving honors God because it's a way of worship, a way of saying to God, you matter most. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and notice this, and all these things will be added to you. And all these things will be added. But your job is to seek first the kingdom of God. Your job is to seek me first, God says. Do we do that faithfully? Or just when it's convenient? Just when we're comfortable? Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, we all love the first part of that verse. We hate the end. And at the front end of that verse, it's telling us that God's going to just abundantly bless us. And man, who doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to receive the good things from the Lord? But it's the end of that verse that's really telling. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The reason I think that ultimately Elizabeth Elliot was able to find joy, joy in even the scary situation, going back to the very people who killed her husband and her friends. The reason she could have confidence to bring her three-year-old was because her confidence was in the Lord. To the world, that's foolishness. But not to a woman who's committed everything to Christ. Not to a woman who understands that Christ needs to be her everything. For her, it would be a fool who would keep something that ultimately they should give. She understood that it was no fool who does give what they cannot keep because they're going to gain what they cannot lose. What about us? See, we need to understand that our storing up in barns for our own provision and thinking at some point we're going to be comfortable enough to do great things for the Lord is to miss the point. If I can just achieve enough things, enough money, enough enough power, enough recognition, then I can serve the Lord better. We're missing the point. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.20. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. His point is this. Where are you placing your values? Where's your goals? Where's your security? Friend, I I say this because the truth of the matter is some of us think our, our security is in our retirement. Our security is in our position at work. Our, our security is found in all these other things rather than God. And God will not be mocked. God wants to be worshipped him and him alone. Not work, not money, not power, but him. 
The prophet Malachi, I think, said it well. In Malachi 3.10, he says, Bring the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He's quoting God here. He says, And thereby put me to a test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you the blessing until there is no more need. Basically, Malachi is quoting God in this prophecy saying, God says, put me to the test. Try me out. See what happens when you put me first. See what happens in the way I provide for you and your family. See the way I bring you real joy as you serve me and my kingdom. Friends, that's what I think Jim and Elizabeth Elliot understood. Something that's so foreign to our culture. We talk about sacrifice, but we talk about sacrifice when it's comfortable or convenient. But when we look at someone's life like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, there was no comfortable or convenient about their worship of God. They were willing to sacrifice all. What about us? Where do we stand in the idea of our worship to God? Are we giving God our best? Or are we giving God what remains? Friends, the giving idea is talked about through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Paul talks about it to the churches. Moses talks about it to the tribes. Constantly, the people of God are being confronted with the reality that they're to give God everything. That's mostly what the prophets of old called the people out for, was their false worship, their worship of things rather than the living and true God. One of the things I think we miss is we think that our giving earns us something, where really our giving flows from what we've already been gifted Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 4. He says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first fruits of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose and make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in the office at the time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God that I have made into the land the Lord sworn to my fathers to give us, then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. I want to draw your attention to something. As I was reading this this morning, this is one of those verses that found its way into the text as I reviewed. It astounded me that Moses made it very clear to the people that the reason they were going to have the ability to give was because God already gave. Do you see that? When you come into the land, then you'll take some of the first fruits. When you come into the land, when you've been redeemed from Egypt, from bondage, from slavery, when you've been redeemed from that, then I want you to take some of the blessing that I've given you and I want you to give it back to me in a form of worship. Friends, this ties very well into the way in which God has provided everything for us through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ teaches us this principle which is driven by love of giving. 
Jesus' desire was to please the Father. Jesus came out of love, seeking to do the Father's goodwill. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse 31. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus says, I'm coming to do his will because I love him. So Jesus came out of love to fulfill his Father's desire. And what was his Father's desire? But to save sinners. That famous verse in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to die for sinners because that was the Father's desire. Friends, Jesus put the Father's desire before his own comfort. Jesus put the Father's desire before his own comfort. Jesus willingly suffered for the glory of his Father. The question before us is, are we willing, out of love for God, to be outside of our comfort zone? Are we willing to seek the glory of God above all things? Are we willing to give up our enjoyments and comforts to put God first? My challenge to us should be that we should desire to do this. Why? Because God blessed Jesus with us. See, we're in the inheritance of Christ. Christ inherits the church. Jesus, his his gift from the Father to him was us. We're the blessing. And ultimately, Jesus takes great joy in us, in giving for us. Think for a moment of being called the bride of Christ. What kind of relationship is it if only the groom gives? What kind of relationship and friendship and marriage is it if only one of the partners give? Jesus says, I'm willing to give up all for you. But it comes down to this question, what are we willing to give up for him for the gratitude of the love he's bestowed? Have we ever contemplated the love of Christ? The depths at which he went to save us sinners? Have we ever contemplated the ugliness of our sin that Jesus was willing to take upon himself for us so that we could be redeemed? Have we ever truly contemplated all that Christ has done to redeem us, that the only proper response, just like Moses gave to the people when they were freed from Egypt, is to give back to God? The only proper response is to give back to God. Not the last portion, not the middle portion, but the very best portion. Because he's worthy, and his beauty and his love testify to his worthiness that he would pursue us sinners to save us, to redeem us, so that we could be his bride. Church, it's an amazing thing when you count the riches of salvation. And it's a selfish thing to think that we are gifted salvation and we don't have to do anything in return. It's true that salvation is all of a gift, but surely one who's received such a gift would be willing to honor the Lord with all they have. For if we truly understand the salvation that has been gifted, how can we not want to honor the Lord with all that we have? See, church, to give wisely means this. In loving God, we seek to honor him by giving him our first fruits, not our leftovers. 
We seek to give him our best, trusting his love for us, believing he will give us all we truly need. And so therefore, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, truly believing and clinging to what Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott seem to understand, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. And may we seek to honor you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from our text, we pray, Lord, that our eyes would be fixed upon King Jesus. That we would recognize him as the lover of our soul. That when we feel lonely and no one else cares, may we always remember Jesus is there. That he gave his own life for us when we were our ugliest. When we were downtrodden with sin and guilt and shame. When we had nothing beautiful about us, he loved us. And because of that love, may we be filled with hearts of gratitude that seek to honor him. Not by giving him the leftovers, but by giving him the best. Completely giving him ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.